Welcome back to True Patriot Ministries. I'm Chris Algramson. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, just a quick recap on where we're at with Prairie Fire Revival. Here we are. It is the 12th of September, and in 16 days, so the 28th of September will be the first evening. We'll kick off at 6.30 p.m. at the Leavenworth County Fairgrounds, and that's in Tonganoxie, Kansas. And so don't get caught up in the fact that it's in a small town in the middle of nowhere. It's in the middle of the Midwest. That's why we want people from all over the Midwest coming in. And we want you to come in and partake. We want you to come in and bring the anointing that's on you, the the uh, glory to God, the fire that the Holy Spirit's built up in you. We want you to bring it with you and uh, and come and partake. Now, if, if your fire is little, it's okay. It'll be big by the time you leave. It's We're truly believing for a move of God for miraculous things to, to happen, to take place, and for the Holy Spirit, his, for, for the presence of God just to be everywhere here. Okay? And we know He's faithful. We know He will be there because His, his people, His children are there. And we're coming together in unity from all over the Midwest, from all over the U.S. And we're coming together in unity through the Holy Spirit. And so I've no doubt he'll be here. I've no doubt. Because with each one of us, he's in each and every one of us. If you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he's not only in you, he's on you. And uh, glory to God, it's just a greater anointing, a greater refreshing, a, a reviving of the Spirit, a, uh, an awakening of the nation. And that's what we're looking forward to. Glory to God. Um, so anyway, it, it, it's, it's going really well. Everything's coming together beautifully. We just need you, and we need your church. Again, I will reach out to you churches, okay? If you have, if you're part of a church, which I believe you are, and you have a pastor, which I believe you do, I need contact information. Just email it to reach out, R-E-A-C-H-O-U-T, at truepatriotministries.org. Okay? I've already got a draft page set up. It's not live yet, but it will be here in just a few days. For churches who have sent me their contact information, and I'm classifying them by state first and then by city. And so we need your contact information. People are going to come from all over the U.S. And the last thing that we want to have happen Matter of fact, it's the one thing I don't want to see happen is that people get saved or they come back to God, they come back to Christ, but they've got nowhere to go. So it's very important to me. Okay? Very important to me and to the core group that we have your church contact information so that we can list you out by state and city. And then when we match them up via the website, then people will know, hey, if I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma, here are the churches who have sent their information in from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so I can go down the list and I can, I can okay, that one sounds like a good fit. I'll take their information or I'll take all the information. It's there. Go visit this church. Go visit that church. Whatever it is. You'll know when you walk into a church and you sit down and you go through a full sermon, okay, don't evaluate a church based on a partial sermon. Sit and go through it. Sit go through two or three. You will know the heart of the pastor within one or two sermons. And you'll know if, the, if God's called you to be in that church. But, again, churches, if I don't have your information, I cannot refer people to you. It's very important that we get everybody planted. Okay? That being said... Let's go ahead and get into today's message. Now we're back on a walk with Jesus. And I'm really excited about this. I had, uh, thank the Lord, I had a great opportunity this morning to help out at uh, First Baptist Church here in Tallinnoxie. And uh, Pastor Carl Lester, he, he uh, was gracious enough to let me preach in his church. And it was a great time. I loved it. I always am, 
I don't want to say this. Glory to God. There's such a spirit of joy on the man. There really is. And so every time he and I get together, it's a joyful time. It really is. And I just enjoy being around uh, Pastor Carl Lester and, and his wife, Pastor LaShawn, and, and their congregation. I mean, it's a great little church. And so this is why I'm saying, send me your information. Not that I can come preach in your church. That's not what I'm talking about. But because people will never know how great your church is. They don't know who you are and where you are. All right? So send your information in. We'll get you up on the website. I'll get the page published. It'll go live before the revival, but maybe not too far before. And and we'll go from there, okay? So, I, again, I was blessed to be able to preach in his church this morning. It was a great message. Um, my wife tells me I did a great job, and so I'm pleased with that. And and uh, the Holy Spirit, man, it moves. Glory to God, the Holy Spirit moves. And and if you don't have the Holy Spirit moving in your church, you need to get it moving in your church. Praise Jesus. This revival is a great way to um, to capture that and take it back to your church. Sometimes, guys, pastors, they just need a few minutes downtime to get filled up. Okay? To get reignited. To have that passion in their heart set free again. And so, take care of your pastors. If, if your pastor needs a little something, something, give him the time. Make sure he's got the time and the resources to, to take care of it, right? If he needs a break, let him have a break, okay? You can have a visiting pastor or a visiting minister for a service or two, whatever, and, and your pastor and his wife, if he's married, can, can catch their breath, right, and get refreshed and refilled themselves. Revivals like this are great for that because when you're in the crowd, Especially if you're a pastor from another state, if you don't want anybody to know you're a pastor, that's the beauty of it. You just meld in with everybody, and you come and you get filled up and refreshed. And, and But if you want to be known as a pastor or minister, just point yourself out to us, and we will honor that, all right? Um, anyway, let's get back to the message here. So we are in... Uh, this is episode number 14 of A Walk with Jesus, and it's part 12 of Jesus. Now, in this, in this episode, excuse me, we're going to see uh, Jesus speak a parable. We're going to talk about the second Passover, and we're going to talk about the healing of a lame man. And uh, this is good. I mean, it, leading up to this point, things have been kind of boom, boom, boom. But now we're starting to see the action and the movement of the Holy Spirit in Jesus, in the miracles and the signs and the wonders that he's performing. And it's getting exciting. It's any time the Holy Spirit is moving, it, there's excitement, there's energy, there's, there's just so much to take in, right? And so let's look at our Bible text. Uh, again, we're standing on John chapter 1, 1 through 5. And it reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were created through Him. And without Him, nothing was created that was created. Now in Him was life. And the life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness. But the darkness cannot overcome it. Glory to God. Isn't that good? John five nineteen. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Isn't that good? So we know Jesus, when he saw God do something, that's what he did. Who do you see it through? The Holy Spirit. Glory to God. John 8. 26, don't, don't forget, in, in this era that we're going through right now, Jesus was walking the earth as a man, born of a flesh and blood woman. Okay, chapter 8, verse 26 in the book of John. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, 
and I speak to the world those things which I heard him say. Glory to God. So he's saying right here, look, I don't even speak of my own accord. These things that I speak to you, I have heard from the Father. And therefore, I can speak them to you. That's so good. Now, in the last episode, we left off with the calling of Matthew. If you've ever seen the Chosen series, Matthew's one of my favorite characters. Between him and Peter, right? Uh, They're totally opposite characters. Peter is rash, quick. Um, I wouldn't say he's, he's not intelligent, but... You know, intelligence usually comes after his rashness. Now, Matthew, the way they portray him, is very intelligent, with OCD, and he's not rash. He's very methodical about everything. Okay? And so the Chosen series, I do enjoy it. It's a great depiction. Um, and I love the way they portray those two characters. So Matthew in chapter 9, verse 19, excuse me, verse 9 through 13 It reads, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's station. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now while Jesus sat at supper in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, notice they said it to his disciples and not him, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well do not need a physician, but those who are sick. And he continues on, he says in verse 13, but go on and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay, You don't need to call the righteous to repentance. They've already repented. That's what makes them, uh, they've already repented. They've come to Christ. They're righteous. But the sinners, we need to pay attention to them. We need to get them into repentance. Jesus came to call the sinner into repentance. Glory to God. Now, let's talk about the parables. And this is pretty good. I like this one. This is uh, Luke chapter 5, and we're in verses 33 through 39. Again, this is a walk with Jesus. So we're, we're taking book by book, chapter by chapter, and we're going through, right? And the similarities between... I'm not going to go over, but I will go over the differences and nuances between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John on most of this stuff. Okay, so we're in Book of Luke because I like what he had to say. In verse 33, it says, They said to him, him being Jesus, Why do the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and likewise the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? He said to them, Can you make the attendants of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then in those days they will fast. He told them a parable also. No one sews a piece of new material on an old one. Otherwise the new would tear. For the old piece does not match, excuse me, the new piece does not match the old piece. 37, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the wineskins, and it will be spilled. And the wineskins will be destroyed, but new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. So, We see in the very first verse, right, back up in 33, they said to him, why do the disciples of John fast often and the Pharisees also, but yours eat and drink? So we have that wondrous question that every two-year-old knows. Why? 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 
sometimes we're not satisfied with the answer we get, so we continue to ask why. Even when the question why makes no sense, we still continue to ask why, because we're not willing to receive the answer given to us. And so we need to pay attention to our answers, right? And they may not be the answer we want. But asking the question again does not change the answer. Look at Israel marching through the desert, right? God gave them manna. He gave them water out of rocks. He gave them quail when they complained about the manna, right? And then, but yet they still asked, can he? Can God do this? Can he do this? He's done miracle after miracle. Their their shoes didn't even wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. None were sickly. None died in the desert. Their clothes didn't, didn't fade. They didn't age. They didn't tear. They didn't get sick. Their shoes were great. 40 years, guys. How many pair of jeans you got in your closet that'll last you 40 years if you're wearing them daily? None. Okay, this was truly an act of God, and yet they still asked, can he? It's the same as asking why. Right? It's the same thing. So, let's talk about the bridegroom. If you're at a wedding, are you going to abstain from eating when you're at the wedding? No. There's a feast before you. You're going to eat. That's what they're talking about. They're not fasting because they're spending their time with Jesus. They're already learning and doing His works. They're with the bridegroom. The wedding feast is on. Why would they fast? Okay? It's just, it's a celebration. So there was no fasting. Now, the wineskins, I like this because you've got the new wine into the old wineskin. It'll cause it to burst. And I know it's a chemical thing. It has to do with the fermenting of the wine and all of that. But that's his example. Look, the Holy Spirit is the new wine. But in order for you, your spirit, to be able to receive that, that connection to the Holy Spirit, your spirit's got to be made new. So you've got the new wine, the Holy Spirit, and then you've got the wineskin. That's you spiritually, your spiritual vessel. Your spiritual vessel is made new. You're a new creation spiritually. That way you can receive the new wine. And in verse 39, there's probably, when you look at the end of it, when it says that the old is better, you know, there, there is a time of preparation. When you look at the aging of wine and all of that, he's using that example. So, there is a time of preparation. Uh, for some, that time of preparation is longer than others. Some may take years to get prepared to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and, and, and in that receive the Holy Spirit. Others, uh, they may go from child to age of accountability and boom, receive right away. Right? They may uh, receive Christ as their Lord and Savior immediately. And so they're Time of preparation is not as long. So let's look at Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to look at verses 15 through 17. And we're talking this same subject. We're talking about the bridegroom and the fasting and all of that, right? So in 15 it says, Jesus answered, Can the guests of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and they then they will fast. No one sews a new piece of cloth, or a piece of new cloth into an old garment, for that which is sewn in to fill it up pulls on the garment, and the tear is made worse. Neither do men put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins burst, the wine runs out, and the wineskins perish. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Glory to God, that's good. I like the way Matthew says it. So let's move on from there. Jesus, here we're going to see him. He's going over to Jerusalem for the second Passover. 
And in this, he also heals the lame man. So John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool, which in Hebrew is called Bethesda, having five porches. So we see there that now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool, which in Hebrew is called Bethesda, having five porches. In these five porches lay a great crowd of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. After the stirring of the water, whoever stepped in first was healed of whatever disease he had. So you can imagine, it's a competition. So obviously those who are diseased and sick but still very mobile, well, they're probably the first one in every time. So there was a certain man there, verse 5, a certain man was there who had an illness of 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been in that condition now a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? Now the sick man answered him and said, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Now if you notice... He didn't answer Jesus. He made an excuse for the condition he's in. Okay? He never said, yes, I want to be healed, or no, I don't want to be healed. But he said to him, for this reason, I've given up all hope, I've given up all, all uh, belief, and I'm in the condition I'm in because, well, here's my excuse, I have no man. Right? So he's not even answering the question. But look what Jesus says to him. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. Now guys, this is the pool of Bethesda. There were five porches and it says they were full of sickly and diseased people. Five porches. And yet Jesus pays attention to one man. Okay, it doesn't say he healed everybody there. He tells this man right here, who just made an excuse to him without answering his question, he tells this man right here, hey, take up your bed and walk. Let's see what he does. Verse 9, immediately the man was healed, took up his bed and walked. That day was the Sabbath. One man, five porches full of lame, sickly, diseased, handicapped people, one man he healed. Okay? I believe he was there purposely, on, uh, for a purpose, for that man who, yeah, who had a, God had a purpose for him. Glory to God. Uh, he has a purpose for all of us. We just have to believe that he does. But here in this example, he, he healed one man. Now, in verse 10, we see that the Jews therefore said to him who was cured. See, here's his lame man, 38 years lame, right? 38 years lame. They've watched him in the pool of Bethesda. They've seen all the faces. They know who they are. They may come out there every once in a while and wave a, you know, a prayer of grace or whatever over them. I, who knows? They're they're more interested in looking good than they are in getting God's work done. Right? And so, they don't notice that the man is healed on the Sabbath. What catches them? He's, they say to him, it's the Sabbath day. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered them, he who healed me said to me, take up your bed and walk. Now, the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. Now, I find this interesting, and there's a, a commentary that I need to read to you. Give me just a second. Let me grab that book. Uh, this commentary, this is, 
as you can see, so this is the uh, Holy Bible with personal commentary by Oral Roberts, the King James Version, and his commentaries in the back, and I like it. Uh, I have a lot of fun with this. See, and I need to get over to page 65. Bethesda was a pool where multitudes of invalids and sick people were brought because of a legend that at certain seasons an angel came and stirred up the waters for healing. Naturally, it drew multitudes of sick people. See them there. A picture of us today as we are sick in some way in our being. We lack wholeness. This man had spent 38 years or a lifetime in sickness and impotency, lying on a bed by this pool daily waiting, yet in only a few minutes he would know complete wholeness. This is the paradox of the gospel. A man can go through life year after year, incapable, unable, knocked out in the battle of life, utterly defeated. Then in a matter of minutes he can have an encounter with Jesus and a miracle changes his whole life. One day Jesus walked among the multitudes and saw this man. Jesus saw him differently than he saw himself. Not just sick in his body, but in his inner self, his real self, sick and down. He saw him lie. His inner man was also laying down. Man is the only creature that God made to be upright. In his inner man, as well as his outer man, this man had been created to stand upright, but he was lying down physically, and worst of all, his spirit was lying down inside his body, and Jesus saw this. Now Jesus said to the real man inside the man's body, Sir, will you be whole? Notice Jesus spoke first to the man's will. Right? He said, Sir, will you be a whole man? Your body and my body have no will of their own. They only have reflexes. Our bodies cannot move up, uh, voluntarily. They respond to our will. So, you see, you must exercise your will before your body can move, unless it moves involuntarily. Now, Jesus saw that this man's will was not operating. This man's inner man, glory to God, had resigned his hope had resigned. His hope was gone. He had given up. He had accepted this condition and was lying down on the inside because he was not operating in faith. I don't have a man. This is the greatest problem we face. Many people I pray for don't have a man. They may have a creed or a philosophy, and some of them have religion, but they don't have the man Jesus. They look to me or someone else instead of the man Jesus. I tell them that I am an instrument, but Jesus is the source. Therefore, we must look to him for healing. Glory to God. Others get before me. The impotent man began to blame other people. That is the sin of sick people or those who have serious problems. We are all prone to do this. The most difficult thing for you and me to do is to look in the mirror and say, you are the one. Jesus looked the man in the eyes and did not accept a single excuse he gave. He commanded him, rise, take up your bed and walk. Jesus is not in the business of accepting our excuses, but commanding us to do something that he tells us. Rise, Jesus told the man's inner man to rise. This is necessary, for our outer, outer man can stand, the inner man must get up. Physician after physician tells me that something inside their patients must act if their medical help is to work best. I know it's so medically and so in prayer. Take up your bed. This man's bed was more than a pallet on which he lay. His bed was his attitude. For 38 years this man had withdrawn from people. He had resented the people who were waiting by the pool, for they got in his way. He had withdrawn himself from the world. His bed was his world. Your attitude can become a bed. It may be an attitude of self-pity, envy of people, or even over-dependence on human aid. Whatever it is, Jesus says, take it up. 
He isn't going to do it for you. I find that every time I get things wrong, I have to put them right when I need to repent. God doesn't do my repenting for me. I have to do it for myself. Oral goes on to say, Well, it finally dawned on him where Jesus was coming from. Then he saw, as Jesus saw, that indeed his inner man was down as well as his physical self. For the first time in his 38 years of being sick of a sick man, he saw that Jesus was greater than the legend of the angels stirring up the water, greater than his illness, greater than his excuses. His faith started acting on Jesus' word to be healed. He made a move, and suddenly the power was working inside him. He felt it. Then he experienced strength coming into his impotent body. And up he came and started walking again. Now, if he could see Jesus like this, you and I can too. Jesus is commanding our inner man to will to rise, to be healed, to return to life as it's supposed to be, to rejoin the human race, a well person in soul, in mind, and in body, right? And we can, by operating with our faith on the Word of God. Let me ask you the same question Jesus asked. Wilt thou be made whole? Do you will it in your inner self? Do you want it more than anything else? Whole. Do you want both your inner and outer self made whole? Think on it. Meditate and pray. Study this scripture and other scriptures on wholeness. Remember the word of God is powerful and it will reveal Jesus, the whole-making Christ, to you. But that revelation is to stir you to act by putting your faith on it. That was rather lengthy, but I like what he had to say. It was very good. Um, and he covered the lame man so well in, in our excuses like we talked about before. And so... Here we see the Jews begin to persecute Jesus. All right, so we go on to verse 14, and it reads, Afterward, Jesus found him, the lame man, in the temple, the formerly lame man, and said to him, See, you have become whole. Sin no more, lest something worse happens to you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Now it gets interesting. So the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Glory to God. And we'll talk about the Sabbath day here in just a second. Jesus answered them, My father is working still, and I am working. So the Jews sought even more to kill him because not only had he broken the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father making himself equal with God. So let's look at John chapter 10, verse 10. It reads, The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I came, Jesus, I came that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. We see right here, Twice they sought to kill him because he did something on the Sabbath. Later, we will see Jesus correct them and tell them, look, man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. We have quite a few people out there. I run into them all the time right now. They're very legalistic. They're under the law, so that's where they live. They're under, under the law. They're not under Jesus. Anytime you get somebody, you run into somebody who puts the, the law above what Jesus gave us as commandments, you're dealing with somebody who's legalistic. They're still under the Mosaic law. That's where they've chosen to live, and you can't change them. I just, I've never had any luck showing them, even in Scripture, where they err. But the thing that I've noticed the most about them is they are the first to persecute, not 
the unbeliever. They don't go out trying to, to get the unbeliever converted, but they spend all their time telling Christians where they're missing it, telling fellow believers where they're wrong and why they're not saved and, and you're still condemned and whatnot. And, and it doesn't matter what you say to them. They hold on to that belief so tightly. Well, that's their idol. That's their God for the moment. And as soon as that God doesn't work for them anymore, they'll pick another one out. But they think because they're standing on a verse in Scripture that they're right. But they totally fail to see the commandments that Jesus gave. Right? And so it's, it's hard to deal with. It's unfortunate. It, it breaks my heart because they have, at a minimum, they have a zeal for something, just not Jesus. And they will tell you until they're blue in the face. If you don't celebrate the Sabbath the way Moses celebrated the Sabbath, then you're dead to God. And, and they'll just keep arguing that over and over and over again. And it's a shame. It's what we see here. It's a Pharisee, Right? They're so caught up in the Mosaic Law that they could not even see that the Christ child, the Messiah, the Chosen One stood before them performing miracles and signs and wonders, and He came for Israel's sake. And yet they would not have Him. What do you do? You know? Um, pray over Him. Glory to God. And so, I, as soon as somebody begins to argue with me about the Sabbath, I just I turn it off. Um, I'm out of the conversation because I already know it's a dead end conversation, and nobody wins in that conversation at all. Uh, one, they're misguided, and, and any sense of victory just reaffirms their misguidedness, which makes it that much harder to get them to come around to the light. And then two. It just takes up your time and frustrates you. So for me, it's it's not, I see no value in it. I see no value in it. As soon as they figure out that I'm not going to contest it, they go away, right? And, and maybe one day they'll see the error of their way. Um, it, I mean, it didn't help the Pharisees. They came at Jesus, and Jesus is like, whatever. I still healed the guy. Did you miss that? Did you miss the dude that was laying here sick for 38 years while you ran around in your fancy robes with your fancy prayers and your fancy parties and, and that man lay there for 38 years sick because you didn't know the power and the authority of the Holy Scriptures that you could have done something for that man? But you want to come to me and argue about the Sabbath? A day that God made for man, not man for, for the Sabbath? No. I mean, Jesus wasn't having it. Right? Which really just made him mad, and, and they wanted to kill him. It's So, just so you know, you're going to run into things like that. So let's talk about the authority of the Son. Now, in John chapter 5, verses 19 through 30, we see here, it says, Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, likewise the Son does. That's one of our Bible texts. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these so that you may marvel. Now Jesus was already too much for them to accept. Then he says that God the Father is going to show him greater works. Right? So you know that just set them over the top. Verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one but has committed all judgments to the Son, that all men should honor the Son 
just as they honor the Father. Now he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So we have an issue there. Right there, God is saying through Jesus, check it out, if you can't honor Jesus, you don't honor me. Because I sent him. He's my son. I sent him to you. And if you refuse him, you refuse me. 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me, which is God the Father, he has eternal life and shall not come into condemnation, but has passed from death into life. Now, truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has given the Son, given to the Son, to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment. Also because he is the Son of Man. Let me read that again. Verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has given authority, excuse me, he has given to the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment, also because he is the Son of Man. Now, 28. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing of myself. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. He said a mouthful when he said this. And I recommend you go back over that several times. There's so much in it. But he's, he's telling them, I got a plan. And, and God's my father and he sent me and, and I'm walking out that plan. And, uh, you know, it, it's unfortunate. They were of the world. Uh, their religion was... Vanity and ego and, and pride and anything but God, even though they said they were godly. And, and so we see Jesus walking through this, and he's just warning them, look, I'm, you got judgment coming. You know, he even tells them, look, it's, it's a resurrection of life. Or resurrection of judgment. I choose life. It's like in, a, in earlier in the Old Testament, God says, "Hey, I put before you bless, blessing and curse. I put before you life and death. Choose life." Right. So let's go down. Almost finished here. John chapter five. We are in now. Let's move to verses thirty-one to forty-seven. Now these are witnesses to Jesus. 31, if I bear witness of myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the testimony which he bears of me is true. Now, Jesus here, he's laying out, he's beginning to lay out the clear and the obvious truth in Scripture about himself, right? He says, you sent John, and he bore witness of the truth. I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and a shining lamp, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. I have greater testimony than that of John. The works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, they bear witness of me. That the Father has sent me. The Father himself who sent me has borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one he has sent. See, he's starting to crack down on their skulls right here. Okay, He's, he's giving them what for on this. Look, the very people who should have known the most 
recognize, they see and hear the least. Because pride, vanity, ego has gotten in the way. They've become their own best idol. And it's unfortunate. Now, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. These are they who bear witness of me, yet you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know that you do. Uh, excuse me. But I know that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, but you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe who receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from only God? Do you not think that I shall accuse you to the Father? There is no one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. Glory to God. So Moses was the law, and that's what they trust in. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So we see a stubborn, stiff-necked generation. Um, men and women who, by all rights, should have been brothers and sisters to, to Jesus. And, and they refuse him. Just as people in this world will refuse us, our own families, our own friends. All of a sudden we'll be called too holy, too goody, goody two shoes, or, you know, you, since you quit drinking, you're no more fun. And we're sitting there thinking, you know, since we quit drinking, you're no more fun. Um, I mean, my God, come on. Who wants to get blitzed? And wake up the next day hurting just so that they can get blitzed so they can wake up the next day hurting just so they can get blitzed and wake up the next day. Guys, we make our worst mistakes under the influence of drugs and alcohol. Or under the influence of people that we give power over us. We need to give that power over to God through Jesus. And he will take that alcohol problem, he'll take that drug problem, he'll take that dependence upon somebody else problem, and he'll flush it for you. He just needs your heart. He just needs opportunity. He needs a place to work. That's inside of you. But he'll take all of that and he'll flush it. And if you give him the right space and you... Glory to God. Just repent. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Repent is nothing more than a mental decision to turn away from what you're doing and to turn back to God. And, and whether you hit your knees or you're standing or you're laying down, I don't care. Just say, Lord, I need you. Come into me. Tell him straight out, look, you're my Lord, my Savior. I believe that you are the resurrected Christ. And I want to walk with you. Glory to God. He's waiting already. I mean, he's just standing there and just, just ready to step in and say, okay, let's go. Alright? And then give the Holy Spirit room to work. Give him permission to work. Say, hey, Holy Spirit, I cannot defeat this addiction on my own. Whatever that addiction is. There are so many addictions in this crazy world. Okay? Whatever that addiction is, I can't defeat it on my own, Lord. I need your help. I will move. I will take action. But I need your super on my natural action to make a supernatural action that will cancel that addiction out of my life. It strips it off of me and it is no more and I will never want it again. That's our God. That's our Jesus. These guys missed that. They could have taken everything and laid it at the feet of Jesus and walked with Him and been 
so blessed, so richly blessed. As it is, he warned them, look, you're going to get either the resurrection of judgment or the resurrection of life. Which one do you want? And they still were so stubborn, so hard-hearted that, that they denied the question. They totally denied the statement. And, and what's their opinion? Jesus, you did wrong. We need to kill you. And, and so we saw in John 10.10 10, that the thief is the one that kills. He's the one that comes to steal and to kill and destroy. Not Jesus, not God. So, yeah, if you want an addiction cut out of your life, you need Jesus. He's the reason you've got the addiction. Because you're missing Him in your life. And you're trying to fill that missing spot with whatever you can to make it feel good. And He's what will make you feel good. Glory to God. I hope somebody got something out of that. I pray you did. I know I went a little bit long today. Um, Guys, I'm having fun with this walk with Jesus. I know in the next episode, we're going to continue to see some controversy over the Sabbath. Uh, We're going to see a man with a withered hand healed. And then we're going to see multitudes healed. Okay? All at one time. Glory to God. It's great. Like I said, we're starting to get into the meat of Jesus Christ and His walk on the earth as a man and the works and the signs and the wonders and the miracles that He performed. Glory to God. And, And... Eventually, we'll get to the part where he tells you as a believer and he tells me as a believer. Greater works than these shall you do. For I go to my Father.